The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. It says this, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Are you to despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord... We are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. All right, well... Uh, we are in the final week of a, a series we've been in for, for the last three weeks here uh, called Sacred. And, and in this series, uh, we've looked at, at three practices that the church considers sacred, that it has some sort of holy otherness to it. And so the first week we looked at the liturgy or worship, what goes on here. Uh, last week we looked at baptism. And today we're going to look at, at communion or, or the Lord's Supper, whatever uh, you'd like to call it. And uh, as I mentioned last week with baptism... Uh, one of the things that I love about our congregation is that we have folks that, that are actually a part of Acts, that call Acts their church home, uh, that are coming here from, from all sorts of different backgrounds. That, that Some of you were maybe raised Methodist, some of you were maybe raised Baptist, Catholic, some non-denominational, some Lutheran. Uh, some of you did not grow up in church at all, and, and now here you are in church. And so let me just say this, same thing as last week. Uh, as I teach about communion today, if you're like, boy, I don't know about that, that doesn't sound like what I know, da-da-da. Don't just like walk away and be grumpy. Just like talk to me about it, right? Ask me questions about it. It is literally my job to talk with people about this stuff, all right? So, so do, not, do not be bashful. Uh, we want to talk about it because this stuff is actually it's important. It's very important. Uh, and here's why communion is so important. See, see, the central act, what we'd all agree, whatever denomination you grew up in, we'd all agree that the, the central act of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ's death on the cross for the sins of the world, right? Jesus Christ's death on the cross, central act in Christian faith. But what happens the, the night before Jesus goes to the cross is he sits down and has a Passover meal with his disciples. 
And there's this moment in the meal where he takes bread and he says, this is my body which is given for you. And he takes wine and he says, this is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I say that and there's no way those first disciples really knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. But we know what he's getting at. See, we know that on the night before the central act of the Christian faith, Jesus was instituting the central act of Christian worship. The central act of Christian worship, the Lord's Supper. But like, why is that such a big deal? Like, like why is the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, why is that such a, why, why has that been a tradition that has been central and core to the church for 2,000 years? Jesus says two sentences. 2,000 years later, here we are with an altar right in front of me. Why is that? Well, our text today shows us. It shows us that this practice is so important because of three things. It unites us to each other. It unites us to the world. And it unites us to our Lord. Okay? This practice unites us to each other as the church, unites us to the world, and unites us to our Lord. That's what we're going to see in our text for today. All right? So let's get going. Uh, Communion unites us to each other. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, uh, now many of you know I office out of uh, typically Cianfrani Coffee or, or Redhorn Coffee in Cedar Park, but I, I felt like staying local, and the only coffee shop we have in Leander is Starbucks. So if anyone like wants to open something else for the love, I would love to office in, in our city. Uh, but at any rate, I, I went to the, the Starbucks in Leander, and, and I'm there, and I'm in line, and this, this, this gentleman is in front of me, and he just turns around and he goes, well, what's your name? Uh, very friendly guy. And, and I said, um, I said, uh, it's, it's Gabe. And he goes, well, well, what do you do, Gabe? And I said, I'm a pastor at a local church just up the road. And, he go, and then he said something I've literally never heard before in my entire life. He goes, well, you look like a pastor. And I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm looking to see if there's someone behind me. Like, I was like, no one ever says that. Uh, and he's like, oh, come talk to me. And so, so I went and I sat down with this guy, and, and he asked me about our church and how we got started and this, that, and the other thing. And so we're talking about it, and he says, so are you guys part of the denomination? And I, and I said, yes. And at that, his face soured. And he goes, well, well, don't you think denominations are sinful? And I said, I said well, I, I think denominations, they, they are a product of sin. I, I'd agree with that, but, um, but I don't think it's inherently sinful to be a part of one. And he said, no, 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 the church should be one. The only thing that should separate the church is geography. And I said, brother, like, I agree with you, but we are talking a thousand years worth of division. Like, this side of eternity, I'm just not sure that that's going to happen. And so I said to him at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, man, why don't you just come check us out? Uh, and, and I gave him one of our invite cards. I said, you know, we got worship at 9.30, Come check us out. Sure enough, two weeks ago, he shows up. Not at 9.30 or 11, at 8 a.m. Um, and so, so I'm in my car practicing my sermon at the Masonic Lodge. The cops have busted me three times. I'm like, bro, I'm just preaching at my steering wheel. Anyways, and uh, so, uh, at any rate, so I'm there doing that. He comes in. Tanner and the band are rehearsing. And Tanner shared with me, in between each song, this guy would yell critiques at them. And he'd just be like, the drums are too loud. Can't hear what you're saying. And they're like, well, we're just rehearsing. Like a sound guy's going to come here. And he'd just sit there, like arms crossed, and just yell at them in between each song. And then he didn't even stay for worship and left. Now listen, 
for a dude who's convinced he's going to unite the entire Christian church. One would think he could handle the drums being a little loud, right? Now listen, I, I'm not telling you that story to pick on this guy. What I'm trying to do is, is point out for us our inconsistencies as the Christian church sometime, our inconsistencies as brothers and sisters in Christ, that there's a certain ideal that each of us maybe strives for, that, that we know, hey, God's called us to live this way. He's called us to be these sort of people, and we continually, we don't live up to it. We don't live up to what we're called to do. Like, like I don't know if you've ever been there, right, where, where people around you, people that are supposed to be your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're supposed to follow Jesus with, have just ended up being jerks. And you're like, man, I thought we were supposed to love each other. I thought that's what this was about. I thought we were supposed to care about one another, but you guys are treating me worse than, than some of my non-Christians. Like, what, what is this about? Well, I don't know if you caught that in our, in our text for this morning, but literally this is exactly what's going on in our text. That Paul, who's an early leader uh, in, in, in the early church, is writing a letter to a young church in Corinth and they've got all sorts of problems going on. Listen to what he says to them, starting at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. All right, so let me just summarize all that we just read there. So Paul essentially just says, what is wrong with you guys, right? He says, look at yourselves. You're, you're all divided all over stuff. And then he says, when you guys go to the Lord's Supper, he says, this meal that's supposed to unite you guys, when you guys go to the Lord's Supper, some of you are getting drunk on communion wine. I mean, I love that. Verse 22, he just goes, what? Right? Like, like, like what's going on? What's the matter with you? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? And so here's my point. Christians being dumb and embarrassing is nothing new right? Like we've been doing it from the beginning, friends. It's just part of what we've done. Here's the thing, though. If we're honest with ourselves here this morning, church, we can't turn our nose down at, at those Christians over there. We can't say, oh, look at what they did. They're mess because we're so perfect and we've got it all together because we're just as guilty at not showing love to our fellow brothers and sisters. We're just as guilty at not showing love to those in the world. Uh, last year, I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin uh, for, for St. Patrick's Day, uh, which is an awesome place to be for St. Patrick's Day because literally in Green Bay, Wisconsin, every day is St. Patrick's Day. They wear green and drink a lot. Like that's just, you know, it's like same, right? So, so there I am, and uh, I was there and I was visiting a, a buddy of mine who I, I went to seminary with. I haven't seen him for a few years, and, and he and I uh, were talking, and, and we were just sort of um, unloading all of our pastoral horror stories Actually, he was just telling me mine, his, because I don't have any, because you guys are just perfect. And, um, and so, so we're talking, and we're whining about stuff. And then as the conversation closed up, my buddy goes, well, the church is a whore, but she's also my mother. And I was like, dude, that is profound. Like, did you come up with that? And he's like, no, it's St. Augustine. Did you ever pay attention in class, you know? <laughs> and, uh, 
And, and, and I love that quote, and I know it's really jarring, right? And I know we may have got some younger ears here, okay, but I know it's jarring. But I love that quote, the, the church is a whore, but she's also my mother. Because it helps us navigate the struggle of Christian community. Like, like it was the grumpy guy from Starbucks this time giving us a bad name, but next time it'll probably be me. And so I can do a couple things. I can get all upset and quit the church and quit Christianity and say, oh, those guys, they're just hypocrites, they're just a mess. Or I can recognize that the church is my mother. I can do what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. I can cling to the promises of Christ. See, right after Paul goes into the Corinthians and says, you guys are being divisive, you're being selfish, you're being greedy, you guys don't have it together, he points them to what will actually unite them. He points them to the promises of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Look with me at verses 23 to 25. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Paul says here, Hey, you guys have been jerks to one another. But he says, Remember the gift. Remember the gift that Jesus has given you. Remember that Jesus took bread and said, this is my body given for you. He took wine and said, this is my blood shed for you. It's given to you for the forgiveness of your sins. See, unity happens in the church, not when we expect to find perfection in each other, but when we find common grace in the promises of Jesus in this meal. Let me say that again. Unity happens in the church, not when we expect to find perfection in each other, but when we find common grace in the promises of Jesus in this meal. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christian community is not an ideal to be realized, but it is a reality in Jesus in which I'm invited into. And so that, by the way, just like a, a small note here, that, that's why we, you, if you've been here with us for a while, we used to have our altar up there. We moved it down here. And the idea being that, that, that the, the presence of Christ might be in the midst of us. So it's not about my relationship to you being perfect. It's not about your relationships with each other being perfect. But it's about Jesus being in the midst of us. Present with us. Holding us together. Uniting us by his promise. Because we're not going to get it perfect. right? We're, we're going to mess up. We're not going to love each other perfectly. But in this meal, we're united to each other because of the common grace we experience in Jesus. So we're united to each other. Second thing we'll see is that it unites us to the world. Uh, look with me at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Paul says here, uh, whenever we take part in communion, whenever we take part in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what is that about? What's he getting at there? Uh, well, I would say this. Communion is much more than a remembrance of Jesus' death, but it is not less than that. 
Okay? It's much more than that, but it's not less than that. And so whenever we take part in this meal, we remember Jesus' sacrifice and thereby proclaim Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for the sins of the world. And so the idea is this, that, that when we take part in communion, that just as Jesus' body was broken, our world is also broken. Our Lord's Supper proclaims that truth, that, that Jesus entered into our darkness. So this is how communion works, that, that we recognize that there's brokenness, there's darkness, there's sin, there's suffering in the world. But communion reminds us that God is not far from that, that Jesus entered into that. Jesus entered into that. Uh, so I've told some of you this story before, but when I was doing a uh, pastoral internship, we, we call it a vicarage, uh, I was working at this church in Minnesota, it's a big church, like 4,000 people there. And, uh, and I remember like my, my first uh, sort of pastoral meeting that we had, and what we'd do is we'd, I'd get together with all the other pastors, and we, we'd go through the prayer list, and we'd go through the pastoral care needs for this congregation of 4,000 people. And every week we'd do that. And I remember the, the first week we did this, the list was so long of the needs of people. I mean, it was loved ones that had cancer, kids with cancer, folks in abusive relationships, folks who just lost loved ones. I mean, the list went on and on. And I remember, like, I was 25, you know, like, I thought it was just, you know, puppy dogs and rainbows everywhere. And I just, like, felt the weight of the brokenness and the suffering in this world. And I'll just be real with y'all. The first time we went through that list, I just went home and I wept. I wept. It was just too much. Have you ever been there? Where you like look at all the suffering in the world, you look at all the suffering in your own world, and you're just like, this is just too much. There's too much brokenness here. It's just falling apart. Like this happens. But in this meal, Jesus meets us in that brokenness. This meal, Jesus is with us in that suffering. So that whatever you're going through, whatever's happening in the world, whatever brokenness is around, Jesus promises to show up here. His body broken. His blood poured out for the world, for you. So I've recently been uh, reading a book called Silence and Beauty, and uh, it's by an artist I really like a lot named uh, Makoto Fujimura. Fun name, too. And, uh, and in this book, Makoto, his, his father witnessed the bombing of Hiroshima in World War II. Um, and then he, you know, several years later, uh, was less than 10 blocks away uh, when 9-11 happened and the Twin Towers went down. And so in this book, he sort of explores the relationship between faith and beauty and suffering and kind of how these things all intermingle. And there's this point in the, the book, he's, he's a Christian, and there's this point in the book where he does a little excursus uh, on our text for today. And so I just want to share some of that with you. He says this, The Lord's Supper provides a narrative and metaphorical journey into any experience of brokenness. When we consider our journeys in and out of trauma, the most important place of healing may be at the table of a gathering of a family in which bread is broken and wine is shared. So even at the rudimentary level, this scripture guides us into the sociological and psychological power of the act of breaking bread together. And so he says this here, essentially. He says, hey, in a world of brokenness, he says, even if you were to remove any sort of spiritual dimension from this act, he says, if you were to remove completely the spiritual dimension of the Lord's Supper, there's something powerful that happens around the table. But then, of course, we can say, how much more so for us? 
knowing that Jesus promises to meet us here. And so the Lord's Supper unites us to each other. It unites us to the brokenness in our world. And then finally, what we'll see in our passage is that it unites us to the Lord. Uh, look with me at verses 27 to 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so our text says here, it says pretty stark words, right? It says, hey, when, when you take part in the Lord's Supper, it says don't do it in an unworthy manner. Why? Why would we not do it in an unworthy manner? Because then you'd be guilty concerning an empty ritual. No. It says you'll be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That somehow in the bread and the wine are Jesus' very body and blood. I don't know how that works. We take it on faith, but that's pretty clearly what Scripture is saying here. And so what our text says is we don't take this meal lightly. We don't take it trivially. Because we expect to see Jesus here. We examine ourselves. Verse 28, we examine ourselves. Now what does it mean for us to examine ourselves? Well, Paul actually tells us in the next verse. Look with me at 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so to examine yourself is to discern the body. Someone's like, all right, well, what on earth does that mean, right? Well, it means, it means a couple things. Uh, first of all, it means that you recognize Christ's body given for you. That you recognize that Jesus went to the cross for you, that, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That there are things in your life that you need to repent of, that you need the grace that Jesus offered by his body, by his sacrifice. The second thing it means is, is to discern the body of Christ, the church. That you're here with fellow brothers and sisters, and that as you examine yourself, you're saying, hey, do I got beef with any of these people? Do I got people that I need to repent to, that I need to apologize for something I've done? Do I have people here that I need to forgive, that I need to let go of some things before I'm united with them together at this meal? That's what it means for us to examine ourselves, to, to look into our hearts and say, what do I need to repent of? Who do I need to forgive? And so that's why before communion each week, right, we, we have those two minutes of silence. We'll do it in just a second here. Uh, where we just lay everything before God, where we examine our lives and we recognize the body before we partake in this meal. And here's why, why this is amazing, though. It's, it's actually just a beautiful thing. I know it sounds like kind of harsh words up there, but, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, a few years ago, uh, my wife Melissa and I had, had the privilege of, of standing up in a wedding together, uh, my brother-in-law's wedding. And so, so we're standing up in a, in a wedding, and, and as the ceremony's going on, like her and I are like right across from each other. And I don't know what happened, guys. Like we just like were like the goofiest people ever. Like we're just like smiling like ear to ear, like two love drunk teenagers, just like super sappy the, the whole time the vows are happening. We're just like... It's just so beautiful, right? Like, I don't know how this happened, but let me just ask you, like, those of you that are married, does that ever happen to you at a wedding where you're, like, just watching the wedding, but you find yourself, like, drawn closer to your spouse? Like, why does that happen? We didn't get married again, right? But something about being at that ceremony reminded us of our ceremony, right? It reminded us of the vows we made to each other. It reminded us of the covenant that we made. It's as if, we weren't, but it's as if, we were renewing that covenant all over again. Friends, when we take part 
in the Lord's Supper, when we gather and take Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us, it's as if we retake part in that covenant that he's made for us, that he's bound himself to us. Because I don't know about you, but, but for me, between one Sunday and the next, there's a few things I need to be forgiven for, one or two, right? I don't know about you, but between one Sunday and the next, there's a few areas in my life that are still broken with sin. And my theory would be that that's the same is true for each of you. That each Sunday you come in here and there's people maybe you've hurt, people maybe you've lied to, things that you've done that you shouldn't have done, things you haven't done that you should have done. And every single time you show up here, no matter what, Jesus promises to be here. He promises to offer you forgiveness and grace and love. No matter what. He says, come here, grab hold of that. Grab hold of my life given for you. Hang on to that grace. It's for you. Receive my grace. Receive my love. See, I love, we have community every week. People ask why. It makes my job so much easier. So much easier. Because here's the reality. I could have a total stinker of a sermon. Still got communion. We're good to go. Right? Tanner and the band could have an off day. Jesus' promises still hold true. Y'all could wake up grumpy. It happens, right? Jesus' promises still hold true. I was talking with uh, friends of mine this, this past week, actually, who uh, they grew up in the church, but, but they, uh, like much of my generation, have, have kind of walked away from that. And, um, and they just said, yeah, you know, I don't really need any of that. I don't, I don't need the church for, for community anymore. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, it's actually probably true. Like, you can find community in all sorts of places. You know, join a country club, right? I said, but... The Lord's Supper, the promises offered here, and this only happens here. This only happens when the people of God gather here, and we need it. We need it. We need the promises offered in this meal. And so in this meal, I want to invite you to cling to the promises Jesus gives to you, to cling to his word that his body is given for you, that his blood is shed for you, that his forgiveness is real. It's for you today and always. Let's talk to him now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of this meal. We thank you that when we are imperfect towards each other, your grace unites us. We thank you that in a world filled with brokenness, you're not distant and far from it, but you've entered into it. You identify with us in it. And God, we thank you that in this meal, no matter what we bring, whatever is going on in our life, that you promise to meet us again and again. May that be enough for us this day, Lord. May that strengthen us and preserve us in this faith. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.